glory of God, I will lift my voice for the honor of he who died for me. I have made my choice, though others may live for pleasure and fame, I will glory in his name. stands worthy of all the praise of man and all the adoration belongs to only him and for his pleasure I'm created and with breath he's given me I'll exalt the name of Jesus forever I will sing for the glory of God I will lift my voice for the honor of he who died for me I have made my choice Though others may live For pleasure and fame I will glory in his name I will live my life For, for the glory of God I will lift my voice the honor of he who died for me I made my choice though others may live for pleasure and fame I will glory in his name I will live my life glory of God, for the glory of God. Well, amen. Well, next week's a big weekend as we have the choice. And of course, um, Sister Kaylee there that was singing, she's kind of heading all that up. She's not the kind of, she is. And let me tell you what, it's a big production 
not just uh, that night, Friday, and Saturday, but it's also a big production just through to get there. And uh, if you haven't, uh, uh, you know, uh, already reserved your place, do so. Uh, right outside, anyone that attends here at the church is welcome to go up there and get your tickets and get that all handled. This is the last day, by the way. Now, we're trying to uh, handle things uh, well, decently, and in order. And so this is it. So make sure you get them if you're planning on being there, all right? This is it. Remember that? Sunday, today. This is it. So I'm sure enough, someone's going to show up at that door and go, I want in. You need to get plugged in. There's going to literally be a seating chart, okay? Everyone will be seated in seats. It'll be just like going to the theater in that regard. So everybody's going to have a seat assigned, and that way we can handle things and we can keep everyone happy. We have folks, uh, there's probably over 100 and... Uh, 30 or 140 people coming, almost 150 that are coming from outside of our church, not our church, okay? And so we want to maintain things. We don't want to do things properly. So basically when you come, listen to me now, when you come, you wear your mask all the way into your seat. You hear what I'm telling you? You wear your mask all the way into your seat, just like if you were going to Playhouse Square, okay? You're going to Playhouse Square, you're going to wear your mask, wear it all the way to your seat for that night because we're going to have a lot of guests and if they're unsaved, I don't want to wreck it already. Okay? Not everybody sees things the way we do. Not everybody sees things the way the science is really falling. Okay? You hear what I said to you? The way the science is really falling. So in order to become all things to all men, we don't want to offend them the moment they walk in and go, wow, I don't even want to be here. Okay? We don't want to do that to them. Okay? So let's wear our masks all the way to our seats. And once you get there, just like when you go to dinner, take it off. You're good to go, okay? And then when you get to leaving, we would prefer that you put it on. We want you to put it back on, leave. We don't want to offend somebody unnecessarily. So uh, we have a lot of guests coming from outside. We don't know what their beliefs are. What we do want them to believe is that Jesus Christ died for them. And so we want to have that opportunity without something else that I consider to be rather insignificant in comparison uh, to stand in the way of them hearing the truth. So that's kind of what we want to do. So if you'd help us with that, that'd be good. You say, well, I'm not coming if I have to do that. Then you let us know that ahead of time so that we can make sure we mark your name off and can put someone else in. Okay, please let us know that. But I would hope you wouldn't be so petty. Okay, listen to me. I'd hope you'll wear it in Walmart. I think you should help us with that because this is souls on the line. We're not just buying a pizza to go home and cook it. Okay, okay. Now, I know that sounds kind of crazy. I'm not trying to be mean or anything. I'm just trying to say, let's not get ourselves up in the air and bow up and everything, you know. Uh, it'll be okay. We'll live, okay? We'll make it. We'll be all right. Okay, so with all that said, now that everybody's happy and everybody's friendly, uh, let's take our Bible, turn over to Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. <clears throat> now, today, I, I want you to know that keys are what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the key to life today. Now, in the Bible, we're going to learn something about keys. As you're turning to Revelation 20, verse 1, I'm going to read a couple of verses before you, as you're getting there. But in Judges chapter 3, verse 25, the Bible says, And they tarried till they were ashamed. And behold, he openeth not the doors of the parlor. This passage is talking about a king by the name of Ehud. He's the king of Moab. He's going to be assassinated. Well, he's in his parlor, 
And the Bible says that he opened not the doors of his parlor. Therefore, they took a key and they opened it. What was happening is, is that he stepped into his parlor and the, his servants thought that maybe he was taking care of some personal business. And as a result of that, they didn't want to go in. They didn't want to catch him that way. And so they allowed him just some time. The problem was, is that over time, they never came out. Sooner or later, they went and got a key. And they, as the Bible says took a key and opened them, opened the parlor door. They unlocked the door and they entered in. And they found him fallen dead to the earth, the Bible says. So we see that there's a key to a parlor here in the Bible. We note there's a key to the gospel. The key to the gospel, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things saith he that is holy and that is true, he that hath the key of David. He that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. Again, a key, we find it being used to open something. To even lock something or to keep it open. We see that your key, you're unlocking something. You're opening something. And then finally, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, where you are presently. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a chain, a great chain in his hand. Notice now there's a key to the bottomless pit. We know that Satan, in the end, will be cast into the bottomless pit. There he will reside for 1,000 years. We understand that. But notice again, many times in our Christian lives, we look at things like the bottomless pit or, or, or the lake of fire or things like that. We say, well, those are just spiritual things. They're, they're, they're not physical. There's no real essence to them. That's not true at all. They're a literal place. That bottomless pit is as real as the place you're sitting today. That lake of fires is as real as the place that you're sitting today. I want you to understand that there is a key that unlocks the bottomless pit. There is a door in heaven. There's a door in hell. And may I say that there's keys that unlock those doors. And I tell you today, the keys, according to the Bible, unlock things and open things. So keys are for unlocking things and opening things. And so this morning, I want to talk about a key. I want to talk about the key to life. I mean, do you want a key that unlocks joy and blessing in your life? Of course you do. So, I got the key. Isn't that a beautiful key? That's one of them old-fashioned keys. I got the key to life here today. But wait a second. Let's consider the key to life just a little bit further in the Word of God. Look, if you would, in John chapter 14, verse 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. So we know the keys unlock things. We know the keys open things. But notice this key to life. In John chapter 14, verse 6, a very familiar passage, Jesus Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me but by the Father. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. The key to life is Jesus Christ then. Jesus Christ is the key to life. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, "For for for to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. The Apostle Paul again, writing to the church at Philippi. For to me to live is Christ. Christ is the key to life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, turn there. 
Man, this is an exciting passage. It is, again, a familiar passage. But boy, I'll tell you what, its truths are just amazing. Look at what the Bible says here in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Life more abundantly. Man, Jesus is the key to life. He's the key. But there's more. When speaking of life, we have to admit there's many facets to it, right? A number of facets. When, you know, I, I have had some pretty big key rings or in my life, in my day. I remember having keys to every vehicle and every building and, and every door that the church owned. And man, I mean to tell you, I'd, you'd have these big key rings and you'd place keys on them. Now, I know some of you can identify perfectly with what I'm telling you. Others can't see past this little thing you tap and it unlocks things. But let me tell you, we had keys, keys like this that you put on a key ring. And I remember having one of those things where it's, you kind of attached it to your belt loop and you'd pull out and you'd have a key ring. And man, I mean to tell you, all those keys would be dangling from that thing. They'd be packed so much around that, so many doors, so many vehicles, so many buildings. And it's just like, man, it's hard to get to those things. They were so cumbersome. They were so large. They were so difficult to deal with and use at times. I still remember I, I would write on them with a, a, a marker, you know, a, a, you know and, and all of a sudden it'd rub off or I'd put little plastic things on there or, or little pieces of tape to try to identify what that key and what door it went to. And then they'd all fall off eventually. They'd crumble up and they'd be found somewhere on the floor if they were big enough to even see. And then I'd go to unlock the door and I couldn't find the key and I'd just start going through the keys. Man, I hated that. Always trying to find the right key. Can you imagine being a school janitor? Had to carry a key ring with a key to every door in the whole school on it. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but they'd probably get pretty tired carrying around all those keys, wouldn't they? Again, heavy and bulky and so forth. I can't imagine carrying all those keys. They'd have to weigh a ton. Can you imagine? They'd have to visit the chiropractor at least every other week, maybe every other day. I mean, that, that weight hanging down there like that, you know, eventually that hip would be out of place. One leg would be shorter than the other. I mean, their legs, their arms, their shoulders would look like Popeyes. It'd be like a workout every single day carrying that many keys around. But you know what? They don't carry all those keys around usually. Instead, they have what they call a master key. A master key. Now you as a teacher or a worker may have a key that unlocks your specific door, but they have one that unlocks your door and the neighbor's door and the next door and the next door, the locker room, the offices, and everything else. A master key. They only have to carry around a key that unlocks the majority of their doors, not a bunch of keys. We noted that Jesus is the key, but there's more. In Mark chapter 4, verse 38, we're going to note that his disciples called him master while they feared perishing on the stormy sea. They said, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. 
I mean, here they are crossing the sea, and all of a sudden a storm arises, and they're fearful for their very lives. They go and they wake up, Jesus, Jesus, carest thou not that we perish? They said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Master. They called him Master. Do you know a Pharisee called him Master when he asked, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Do you know even Judas called him Master when betraying him? In Mark 14, 45, he said, as soon as he was come, he goes straightway to him and said, Master, Master, and kissed him. Jesus himself even, he acknowledged the title of master. He accepted it and acknowledged it. In John 13, 13, he said, Ye call me master and Lord. Ye say well, for so I am. He's master. Paul reminds the believers that they have a master in heaven. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, And ye, ma and, and ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also in heaven. Your master also is in heaven. By the way, you have a master in heaven if you know Christ as your Savior. Hey, that's not a racial issue here. He's your master. This stuff's ridiculous what's going on in our country. He is my master. Before it's over, they're going to want us to pull that word out of our Bibles. My friend, don't you allow it to happen. Don't you let the culture dictate and define and determine what the Bible says. He is our master. Jesus is not only the key, my friend. He is the master key. What that means in then is that it doesn't matter how faceted life may be. It doesn't matter how many issues or problems we may face. It doesn't matter what thing we're discussing or dealing with. Jesus Christ is the answer for all of them. He's the master key. The master key. He unlocks our life to joy, peace, purpose, and blessing. And what you and I need today is the master key to life. And Jesus is the master key. So today I want to spend just a few moments and consider a few areas where Jesus Christ is the key. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll continue. Father, we thank you for this time together. We're asking you, Lord, for life and we're asking you for strength and we're asking you, Father, for just the ability to listen and focus on you and your word. May we, Father, truly listen with our spiritual ears and May we not allow interruptions or distractions to keep us from hearing exactly what you have for us. We love you, Lord. We need you today. And Father, if there be those that are without Christ, have yet to receive and accept, and may they be convicted of their sin and see a need to be converted to Jesus Christ by receiving and accepting him as their Lord. We love you now. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. We talk about Jesus Christ as being the key to life. The fact is, is that he is the key to marriage. He is the key to marriage. See, God designed marriage. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 through 6. God designed marriage. It's interesting how so many times, if we're not careful, we have a tendency to think that we may know better than God when it comes to this issue. That's pretty sad, but it is a reality in life. 
Think about how many self-help books there are on marriage, how many issues of magazines have been written on it, how many doctors and, and psychologists and, and, and so forth have written about it trying to help marriages. But my friend, in so many cases, we neglect the key. Notice Matthew 19, verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which hath made them at the beginning made them male and female? Listen, may I just say, and again, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but I'm going to tell you something. We are in a culture today that wants to, de- to, to totally delete God from the landscape. We are in a culture today that wants nothing to do with the Word of God. They want nothing to do with the key. And may I say that when it comes to that, when God begins to state things, He is right, He is true. And he is always right. It doesn't matter how we change as a culture. The fact is the word of God is consistent because God is consistent. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And may I say he made them male and female. He did not make them a hundred genders. He made them two. And I'm about fed up to hear with the world trying to tell us that we're wrong for believing the word of God. You have compassion on everyone. You show kindness to everyone. You show equal compassion and kindness to everyone, including those that aren't your family, and don't believe the way you believe. But my friend, when it comes to what we believe, we are not obligated to believe what our culture tells us and what our government tells us and what Facebook tells us. We are are obligated to believe this book, the Word of God. He designed marriage. Not us. God did. Having ye, have ye not read that he which hath made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. These two become one. These two become one. That's what the Bible teaches. Wherefore they are no more twain or two but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together let no man put asunder. God designed marriage. That is, it's not the concept of man. Marriage was God's concept. He created it. He designed it. But God also delights in it. In Hebrews 13, 4, the Bible says, marriage is honorable in all. God is honored by marriage. He created, he designed it. And may I say that if you want your marriage to be sweet, if you want God to work in your life and marriage, if you want God to bring joy, peace, and purpose to your marriage, if you want God to do a miracle in your marriage, my friend, you better include the key. Too many times we are trying to kick down doors and jimmy the lock and trying to somehow take the bull by the horns and do things our way. But my friend, that's not how you have the marriage that God intended. That's not how you enjoy the joy that God wants for you and your your wife or your spouse. My friend today, Jesus is the key. There is no other key. He is the key to marriage. Even believers today have dismissed God in their marriages. They've chosen to go their own direction, their own way. And may I say, there is evidence today within even the church of just the same destruction that there is in the world. It's sad, isn't it? I don't know, this has nothing to do with the message, but aren't you about fed up to hear with people that have been married 25 years getting divorced? All because the world says they've missed out on something when they were younger? All because that wife who bore their two or three or four or six or ten children... You're hoping not 10. <laughs> who now has a little bit of belly, who now may not look like she used to when she was 16, 
doesn't look the way she looks and doesn't satisfy him the way he thinks. You selfish pig. You stick with that. She stuck with you. Like you look like Mr. Atlas. Wallering up to the dinner table. And you got to push it down before you can scoot it up. But yet she's supposed to be beauty queen and you're supposed to just, well, it's been 25 years. She don't take care of herself anymore. Yeah, you do. Whatever. I don't know about you, but it bothers me. 50-year-olds trying to act like they're 20. I don't know too many like me. Hey, Jesus Christ is the key to marriage. Not only that, he's the, key to, he's the key to the home. He's a key to the home. Hey, God ordained the home. In Psalm chapter 27, look over there, would you please? <laughs> this passage is awesome too. It's one of those familiar passages that just, I mean, it just explodes with truth. Psalm chapter 21, verse 1. God ordained the home. This Again, the home is God's idea. Notice the Bible says in Psalm 127 verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. I can't imagine, I don't know, probably not too many of us in the room are really contractors. Not too many of us would really be able to build a house on our own. Not too many of us would be able to build a dog house, let alone a real house. Can you imagine you attempting to build your own house? Having to go through the whole process of, of, of the permit process and identifying all the plans and drawing up all the plans. Oh no, you can't go to the architect. You have to do it yourself. You're going to build your own house. You do all the plans. You do everything. And now you get over there and you're trying to order all the lumber and get things in place. Dig the, uh, you know, dig the footers and pour the footers and do all that. Can you imagine the mess you would make out of that home? And the Bible's trying to point out a fact to us when it says in the passage, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Do you realize what your marriage, what your home and your family's going to look like if you dismiss the key, Jesus Christ? Do you realize how upside down it's going to become if you don't apply the key, if you don't turn it and unlock the door to joy and happiness God's way? I'll build my house the way I see fit. I'm the man of my home. I'll do as I please. And that's where our homes are going to hell. We have a problem in our culture and in our country and in our churches. We have dismissed God and his word. We don't care what the key is anymore. We've said we don't need Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. Our children are going out into the world and they're being eaten up by Satan, destroyed on a regular basis. Why? Because there's no power of God in our lives and there's no power of the Lord in our, church, in our homes. We're trying to build them ourselves using our own wisdom. Well, I don't see a problem with that preacher. I don't see a problem with this preacher. And I don't see, well, let me just ask you, I don't care if I agree with you. It doesn't matter what I think. But let me ask you, is that what God says? Is that how God's defined it and designed it? We don't, we don't think too often about that. We just go ahead and kick the door down again. Jimmy the lock. It's open. Let's go. I'm going to tell you something. You'll never find what you're looking for that way. You better get the key. It's Jesus Christ. Get the key. 
God ordained the home. God orders the home. In Ephesians chapter 5, we could look at verses 21 through 31, but let me just give you a real brief overview of it. God provides specific roles and responsibilities in order to bring peace and purpose to our lives. In Ephesians 5.25, he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. In Ephesians 5.22, he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. In Ephesians 6.1, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. God has a purpose and a plan for every aspect of the home, every person in the home. Too many times we're trying to redefine the home and redefine our roles and responsibilities. The world's really good at that. And if you don't align yourself with what the world says is the proper role or responsibility for the home, then guess what? You've missed the boat. You're not really contributing. You're, you're not of value anymore. You have to do this to feel valuable, and you have to do that to feel like you're contributing. And if you're not doing this and that, then you're wasting your life. They're selling us a bill of goods. It's amazing, isn't it? Got to have a big house. Got to have a big, nice cars. Got to have a, a beach home. Man, we got to have all these things, and we're trying to, def, do, trying to come up with all of these things and do all the things that the world says are so good and wonderful. Man, he is the key to the home. Not only that, he's the key to relationships. He's the key to relationships. You say he is? Yeah, he sure is. God's basic purpose for us is pretty clear. Look over in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, would you? Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. One of the main reasons for our existence is for fellowship with God. He wants us to fellowship with Him. He wants us to have a relationship with Him. Notice in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, what the Bible says. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. You know, I got this sneaking suspicion that that wasn't the first time. Now, we're going to see that something happened here. We're going to see that ultimately they rebelled against God. The Bible says here in the passage, And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. See, God would meet in fellowship with them, his creation, consistently, continually, until sin entered in and brought separation. See, God's goal and his desire is that we fellowship with him. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. He didn't just send his son to die on the cross so that you could get a free ticket to heaven. He did it so that you could have a relationship with him. He wants to reconcile us unto him. He wants to bring us back into fellowship with him. That's his real goal and desire for us. He wants far more than just your particular rescue. He wants a relationship. Not only God's basic purpose for us is that of fellowship, but we see God's basic plan spelled out pretty simply. And let me just turn to a verse, if you would, with me as well. Ephesians 4.32. Again, a familiar passage. But let's note this passage, and let's see how simple it can be if we apply the key to life. The key to relationships. Ephesians 4.32. We're talking about relationships. <clears throat> how many relationships are strained and how many relationships are broken? Well, watch. I, I have some answers for you today according to the Word of God. From the key to relationships that can unlock the joy and the peace and the purpose 
and the satisfaction that you long for in relationships. First of all, Ephesians 4.32, and be ye kind one to another. And that's pretty good right there, isn't it? Well, I mean, the, key, the key to relationships, be kind. Be kind to one another. That's a pretty good one. That would go a long ways to settling a lot of problems in relationships. Oh, wait a second, it doesn't end there. He says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted. Tenderhearted. I'm going to tell you something. There's all kinds of problems in marriage, and I have women come and say, my husband, he's a beast. My husband, he has no concern for me. My husband, it's all about him. He, I'd say, well, you know, is he kind to you? Oh, not really. Is he tenderhearted? Are you kidding me? And he says, oh, 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 oh. I am Tarzan. She Jane. I rule home. Do you know how far it would go, sir, if you would just knock that off and just be kind and tender-hearted? Do you realize how applying the key to relationships would go, how far it would go to fix a marriage problem, go to fix a problem between you and your children, a problem would go to fixing you and a, a, a person in your family? God wants our relationships with family and friends and loved ones as well as acquaintances to be what God intended them to be. And the key to all of that is Jesus Christ and obedience to his word. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted. Hold on, doesn't end there, forgiving one another. Do you know what God knows about each of us? None of us is perfect. That means you, and that means me. And he's saying to us, even though you are to be kind and tender-hearted, the fact is you just may not be at some point. So guess what? Go ask for forgiveness, and by the way, give it. The truth is, he doesn't even say that here. He says, forgiving one another. Do you know what he's saying? Whether, whether or not they asked you to forgive them, you forgive them. He said, you want your relationships to be what they ought to be? Do you really want to experience the joy that I want for you in relationships? Then you better forgive. Because there are going to be people that are going to disappoint you. There are going to be people that are going to hurt you. There are going to be people that may even harm you. But friend, you'll be the one that suffers if you don't forgive. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Boy, I'll tell you what, if we'd apply just those three simple truths to our relationships, it would transform our lives. He says, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. It's amazing, isn't it? how we are with, our, with relationships. We've got to learn to be kind. But they're not kind to me. Be kind anyway. Be tenderhearted. They're not tenderhearted. They only want to harm me. That's all right. You're not responsible for them. You're responsible for you. Yeah, but I'm miserable. You're miserable because you're holding on to something that's not yours. You don't deserve nothing but hell anyway. Why do you think you're so important? Oh, yeah, you're the only one that shouldn't be hurt in, a, in life. Like people aren't hurt every day. God's given you the key to relationships, how to successfully navigate in a relationship, how to truly overcome the difficulties in relationships, how to be successful in a relationship. He's the key. He's trying to help us. The question is, will we apply the key? Or will we just try to kick the door down? Jimmy the lock! Take the bull by the horns! And do it the way we think is best. 
He's the key to the home. He's the key to relationships. He's the key to marriage. He's the key to success in general. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein, uh, therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Good success. See, God defines success, by the way. Do you know what success is in God's eyes? Adherence to the book of the law. Do you realize that back then when they wrote this book, and they, he said about the book of the law, it was a really skinny book? Do you realize that all those prophets weren't in there yet? Do you realize that the New Testament wasn't in there yet? And yet he's pointing them to the book of the law. And he's saying, listen, you, you, I'm telling you, he's saying, you need to meditate there in day and night that thou mayest observe to do all that, uh, to, according to all that's written therein. And he says, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Can you imagine if they were only able to apply that much of the book, and they could have good success? How much better can our success be if we just simply apply the key? Amazing. See, God defines success. Success may not be defined the same as the world defines it, at least biblically. See, the world says that success is power, it's prestige, it's position, and it's prosperity. But God distinguishes between mere success and good success. See, what God creates, the devil is always seeking to corrupt. Success without God is the greatest of all failures. And that's exactly where most people are. And sadly enough, that is even where believers are today. Oh, wow, what's your practice in the Word of God? I don't know, preacher, I don't have time for that. I'm extremely busy. What's your practice in meeting with the Lord regularly? Well, I try to the best I can. Oh, well, what's your practice when it comes to praying and sharing time with the Lord in that, that perspective? Well, I'm not really good with prayer. I, I really struggle with that. Oh, I see. So you disregard the Word of God, and as a result of that, you don't experience the success you want, and you think it's God's fault. you got to apply the key. The key to success, Jesus Christ. He's the key to eternal life. He promised us eternal life. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, it says, For as much as you both, you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he goes on in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 to say, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, Jesus Christ, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. God provided for eternal life. The Bible teaches that we are nothing but mere sinners deserving a devil's hell, but Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago and he hung on Calvary and he paid the penalty for sin, which is death. He was perfect and sinless. He did not deserve to die, but he died in your place, and he died in mine. Today, my friend, I want you to understand that no matter how good you are, I don't, it doesn't matter how you see yourself or how others view you. I don't care if you died today, and we all sat at your funeral, and then just people, person after person after person, told us how wonderful you were, how beautiful of a person you were, how honest you were, how decent you were, how loving you were, how kind you were. My friend, if you don't trust Christ, you're going to die and split hell wide open. Because salvation is not of you, it is of the Lord. Salvation is a grace through faith event. It is not 
Run as hard as you can. Make sure the scale weighs in your favor. And then hope for the best. That's not how it works. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. See, God provided for eternal life and he promotes it. In Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. He's knocking. Will you open up the door? Hey, wait a second. Jesus Christ is the key. It just hit me. You must hold the key to something else if it's going to unlock your heart's door. You, must, you, must, you and I must hold the key to our heart then. We decide what comes in and out of it then. Because see, keys unlock things and keys open things. So you hold the key to your heart. So if Jesus never finds his way into your heart, it's because you didn't unlock the door then. You didn't exercise the key that God gave you to do so. You didn't yield your will to his will. You didn't submit yourself to his way. Because he's knocking. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Revelation twenty two seventeen. and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. God provided for eternal life, and God promotes eternal life. You say, wow, that's something. It is something. It's amazing. It really is amazing. We said that Jesus is the key to marriage. He's the key to the home. He's key to relationships. He's the key to success. He's the key to eternal life. Wait a second. There's so many facets to that. I mean, I mean, just one key? Yeah, because he's the master key. And let me tell you, there is not one area in your life that he is not capable and able to bring joy, peace, and purpose to unlock those things in your life. But you're going to have to apply the key, not your own logic, not your own thinking. It's too simple, you say. I mean, Jesus can't be the answer for every situation, every problem in life. He is. But like usual, we most often complicate the simple, don't we? During the 1600s, ships were getting more seaworthy. And as a result of that, there were many that were started to take adventures, further adventures. They'd go farther in these ships than they used to go. Farther and farther away from home, Scores of men and women were becoming deathly ill. It was a real problem. They were experiencing a number of various symptoms, symptoms like constant hunger, even if they ate, constant hunger. Their gums would get sore. Their teeth would fall out. Their eyes would kind of sink into their heads. Their hair would start getting curly. Some of you wish you had hair. Some wish theirs was curly. (laughs) Their hair would start getting curly. There'd be red blotches under their skin. They'd be constantly fatigued. Now, all kinds of people were trying to figure this all out. Many were seeking answers, but they couldn't figure out what was causing this mysterious illness. 
Could it be the exposure to the outsiders? I mean, they're going further and farther away. And as a result of that, maybe they're interacting with people and it's causing them to have these horrible symptoms. Maybe it's, it's just the different foods that they may have been partaking in or eating of. Maybe the unusual circumstances in life that accompanied this travel. I don't know. Where'd this illness come from? It was truly a mystery. What ultimately cured this mysterious condition? Because it did get cured. Eating an orange eating an orange. See, the condition is called scurvy. It really isn't a disease. It's a deficiency of vitamin C. Isn't that crazy? Eventually, ships started carrying more citrus fruits, more, more things that had vitamin C in them. And as long as people got some citrus in their diet, they didn't get scurvy anymore. See, it was never really a complicated issue at all, was it? But it became a very big problem. The solution was simple, vitamin C. So, you know, today we look at life, and in most cases, we consider it very complicated and complex, making it a much bigger problem than it has to be. It really doesn't have to be that way. As a matter of fact, the solution is really very simple. Just like those experienced that serious symptoms of scurvy needed only take some vitamin C, we who face the ominous and overwhelming consequences of life need only include Jesus Christ, the master key. See, the key is Jesus. Whether it's your marriage, whether it's your home, whether it's a relationship, whether it's success, whether it's eternal life, He is always the answer. He's always the answer. We need the master key, Jesus Christ. See, one key fits all. And he alone is the solution to every problem in life. He's the master key that fits every door. He alone opens the door to joy, peace, purpose, and fulfillment in our lives. The master key, Jesus Christ. There's a song that goes like this. The course does. Jesus is still the answer. And though time and ages roll... Jesus is still the answer. He's the answer for your soul. And though some may say he doesn't fit with their philosophy, I know Jesus is still the answer. He's always been and always will be. Can I tell you he's still the answer? He's the master key. You say, I, you don't know what I'm going through. He does. He's the key. Let me ask you, do you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? I mean, have you applied the key to eternal life? Have you unlocked the door to your heart to him and allowed him to come into your life? If you haven't, today's a great day to do that. And you're a child of God today. What is it that you find you're deficient in? Can I tell you, if you're deficient in Christ, it's going to show up in every area of your life. It's going to show up in your marriage. It's going to show up in your home. It's going to show up in your relationships. It's going to show up in your level of success. I'm not just talking about financial success. I'm talking about success as a human being. 
Jesus is still the answer. I wonder today, will you apply the master key to your life? Or will you continue or begin to, if you haven't already, kick some doors down, jimmy some locks, take the bull by the horns, handle it your way, Will you turn to the Word of God and allow the master key to meet every need? Father, we come to you. We thank you again for your love for us. and We're so grateful for what you've done and what you do for us. Lord, in our own lives, so many times we've allowed ourselves to get in the way of your blessings. You're trying to unlock the door to a wonderful marriage or to a happy home, to solid relationships or godly good success or even to eternal life and we fight you. We choose to create our own key for each situation, come up with our own way instead of applying the master key, you, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that if there are believers today that have an area in their life where they're struggling, I pray that today they would make a decision to forsake the sin in their life and turn to you, the master key, and allow you to reveal to them what they desperately need so that you can open up that area of their life to joy, purpose, peace, and fulfillment. And Today, there may be some that are without you today that don't know for sure heaven's their home. They've never received and accepted Jesus Christ. I'm asking you to bring conviction in their life of their sin, help them to see that Jesus is the answer that's who they've been missing and that's who they need we'll thank you in Christ's name amen let's all stand every head bowed every eye closed